I'm Talib Vizram and you're listening to Fast Break, your weekly source of inspiration and motivation in these uncertain times. This week, we'll learn how we could achieve gender equity sooner than later, get some tips on time management, and hear a few recommendations on how to boost your spirits during this never-ending quarantine. This is your Fast Break. For years, closing the gender pay gap has been a focal point for women and equal rights activists. While many think of it as a social issue, my guest today sees it as an economic opportunity. Her passion on this topic led her to found Pipeline Equity, where she's also the CEO. And she'll be a speaker at our upcoming Innovation Festival. So it's my pleasure to welcome Kartika Roy to the show. Thanks so much for coming on, Kartika. Thanks for having me. So how did you start Pipeline and what's the backstory? So there's really three parts that are the backstory to Pipeline. One is my family history. One is my sort of place in my family. And then the third is my work history. And I'll, I'll cover it pretty quickly because I, I know we only have a little time. <laughs> the first is that I'm the daughter of an immigrant and a refugee. My mother was actually an orphan at the age of 18 months. She was born on the Isle of Guernsey, which is in close proximity to France. So when France fell to the German forces, they evacuated 5,000 children and my mom was one of those children. And she was placed in an orphanage, adopted a year later, and then came to America when she was 21 for opportunity and equality. My father actually was a refugee. He escaped from Hungary after the fall of the 1956 revolution. My three oldest sisters were with him. They were three, seven, and eight at the time. They walked across a minefield and arrived to a refugee camp in Austria. And they lived in that refugee camp for just under two months when President Eisenhower sent Air Force One to bring 21 Hungarian refugees to the United States on Christmas Day, 1956, and they were on that plane. And so for me, One of the really important things that I always remembered was that it was because of one person in a position of power who stood up that I was born here and I had the opportunity. And that was something that I was certainly raised with. I'm also the youngest of six kids, five girls. One of the events of this year is the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And there are laws that she had such a critical uh, role in, right? The ability for women to get business loans and credit cards that I watched my sisters and their families be impacted by their lack of economic opportunity. Hmm. And I just committed when I was a little girl that I was gonna do everything I could to make sure that that didn't happen. And then the last piece of it is that I'm a breadwinner mom for a family of four and I fought to be paid equitably twice and won. When that happened to me, my commitment was that if you reported to me, I was going to ensure that not only were you paid equitably, but that you would have equity of opportunity. That if you reported to me, I would do everything in my power to ensure your equity of opportunity. And that really was the commitment that eventually led me to Pipeline. Wow, it's it's, uh, quite a backstory, Um, really inspiring. You know, in light of the pandemic, uh, how can HR leaders create talent management strategies that are more gender equitable, but also capable of withstanding the future of work? So what's interesting about that is that those two pieces actually sit together. One of the things that we have seen during the pandemic is an acceleration of digital adoption. We've actually accelerated by five years. So if we look at the end of 2019 and where we are now, we're actually five years ahead, not one year ahead. So we have that piece. 
The other piece that we have is actually 65% of HR professionals say that AI can actually root out bias in people decisions. And we agree. We actually fundamentally believe that AI is the tool to hardwire gender equity in the future of work. And what we mean by that is that companies have vast amounts of data about their employees. They can harness that data to ensure that every decision that they're making about their talent is equitable, as well as in the best financial interest of their company. Pipeline actually started with research. We did a research study across 4,000 companies in 29 countries. And what we found was that for every 10% increase in gender equity toward parity, toward 50-50, there's a one to 2% increase in revenue. And that became the basis for our platform, which is that not only is it the right thing to do, but gender equity is this massive economic opportunity. And so using artificial intelligence, we can actually ensure that things like pay and performance reviews and potential ratings, et cetera, are in fact equitable. The other thing, the reason that that matters during the pandemic is that during the Great Recession of 2008, companies that put equity at the core of their crisis management strategies actually increase the velocity of their recovery. We saw that companies that didn't, actually their stock price on average dropped by 15%. Those that did actually saw their stock price go up by 35%. So you've got a 50% swing on a stock price simply from putting equity in the core of your recovery. Wow. So have you found that kind of the, the economic angle has really been the way to bring people in versus the social angle? Yes. There's a few reasons. One is that if you look at it through a social angle, it becomes optional. It becomes the right thing to do. But if you look at it through an economic opportunity, we are having this whole debate right now about stakeholder capitalism and about taking uh, into account more than just shareholders. And even if you just look at shareholders, it's the right thing to do by shareholders, right? CEOs are held to maximizing shareholder value. That's part of still the ethos of running a company. This is fundamentally a massive economic opportunity. The other piece that is important is that when you look at gender equity through the lens of economics, it's also about equity for all. We often talk about the fact that gender equity is not only about women, that women are 50% of the conversation, but men are the other 50%. And that's because gender inequity impacts them too. And so if you look at it through the economic lens and you grow your company because you're focusing on equity, that's actually more opportunity for everyone. What are traditionally kind of the key decisions that organizations make to improve uh, gender equity every year? So one of the things that we have found, you know, there's a lot of talk about the pay gap. You know, certainly we talk about equal pay day each year and we talk about the intersectional equal pay days. So uh, black women's equal pay day, Latinas equal pay day, Native American women's equal pay day. What we have found is that pay is the symptom, it's not the disease. So in other words, pay is this quantitative value that we place on our talent, but the actual value that we place on our talent happens before that in performance and potential. So really the three key decisions that companies make across their talent each year are performance, potential, and pay. And those three actually lead for the most part to equity. The scope here is, is clearly significant. You've written how there are 30 million employees in the Fortune 500. 
So how can advanced technologies like AI help leaders make more equitable decisions? So we talked about the three key decisions that companies make across their talent each year, right? Performance, potential, and pay. So across the Fortune 500, that's 90 million opportunities to move toward gender equity each and every year. That's what artificial intelligence and cloud computing and quite frankly pipeline makes possible. The question no longer is if we can reach gender equity, it's will we choose to. That's really where we are at this moment in technology. To give you a sense of what that looks like, one of the things that we found is that about a third of all performance reviews contain bias and that about four percent of the time women are underrated for similar performance. That actually leads to lower potential ratings and what potential means in most organizations is actually being developed for future leadership positions. And here's what that looks like. In the Fortune 500, women are the CEOs of only 7% of Fortune 500 companies. And yet they are 51% of the population in the United States, 47% of the labor base and 57% of all college graduates. So when we actually look at equity, you're talking about harnessing that full equitable opportunity for everyone. And, and, and how has the pandemic uh, changed things? You know, has it created an op opportunity to transform the future of work? Yes, because the pandemic has actually accelerated the future of work. Most people will be working from home at least until the middle of 2021. That could be extended. We don't yet know what the full effect of that remote work is, but we know that it's here. And so when we think about that future of work and going to remote work, one of the things that's important is that we actually accelerate our adoption of artificial intelligence because one of the risks of going to remote work without equitable artificial intelligence, that is ensuring that the decisions that you're making across your talent are equitable, is that we could actually take a step back. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what that might look like. So one of the things that we know is that women have the risk of becoming more invisible in remote work. And when you are less seen in companies, less visible, you actually have less opportunity to be promoted. We already know that the broken rung on the corporate ladder is the first one. It's that very first promotion. And we find that through our implementations from individual contributor to manager, we could even see that slide backward. We see also that women could be less valued because their unpaid labor has gone up 153% during the pandemic. So they're having to balance things like virtual school and childcare and all of these things. And that could lead to lower performance reviews. And as I had mentioned, you know, performance reviews really are the anchor to a lot of how we value our talent. And then the last piece that is of concern is really this idea that then women have to advocate for themselves, which is not so much a problem, but then you're advocating at a distance. And so advocacy is difficult anyway. When you're advocating at a distance, it becomes even harder. That's why at this moment, embracing advanced technologies such as artificial intelligence to ensure that our transition to remote work is in fact equitable is critically important. And as we started the interview, not only from a fairness, right, but also from an economic opportunity to increase the recovery both of companies, but also of our economy. It is important to our economic recovery and growth that women not only stay in the workforce, but continue to increase their labor force participation. 
Uh, why is that? Uh, you know, why is it important from a labor economics perspective to to keep women in the workforce, and and how can we make sure that that we do keep women in the workforce as as things are changing? It matters because, just to give you an example, since 1970, women's increased labor force participation has actually added two trillion dollars to the U.S. economy. We can't afford not to have women in the workforce. There is another $2 trillion for the US and 12 trillion globally waiting for us if we move toward gender equity. 789 billion of that uh, $2 trillion in the US is increased labor force participation. Couple that with the fact that in the US, women are actually the breadwinners in 40% of US households with children. And there are a whole lot of women, 16 million breadwinning moms in the U.S. who can't afford not to work because if they don't work, their families don't eat, they don't have roofs over their head, et cetera. Yeah. You know, we, we don't know how long remote work's going to go on for. How can AI ensure that the transition to remote work is equitable? When we are moving to remote work, that we are indeed not only staying still in terms of valuing women in the workplace, but we're actually accelerating our time to equity, that we are using remote work as a way to adopt technologies that will actually ensure things like equity of promotion, that we close that 21-point gap between men and women for that very first promotion, that we close the 18-point gap on average for pay, that we close the gap for potential for women actually being developed into senior leadership positions. And that's really important for our economic recovery. Uh, could this AI model kind of translate to equity for, for other marginalized groups, uh, like certain ethnic minorities, for example? Yeah, so we are intersectional gender equity. So we are gender plus race and ethnicity and age. So we are gender first, not gender only. And that's actually a very important piece there's a couple of reasons why we look at it through a gender first lens. One is that women are, are the largest diverse cohort, right? We're 51% of the population, 47% of the labor base. And if you want to move any cohort forward, as long as you do it through an intersectional lens, women are an important cohort to start with. The second piece of that is that anytime you intersect gender with another diverse factor, so for instance, race and ethnicity or age, so black women, Latinas, women over the age of 45, they actually tend to be farther behind younger white women. Just to give you a sense of what that actually looks like and what we've found through our platform, I mentioned that on average, men are promoted at a rate of 21% greater than women. When you intersect gender plus race, so specifically Black women, that gap actually doubles. In other words, men as a cohort are promoted at a rate of 42% greater than Black women. Wow. And that's why we really need to look at things through an intersectional lens, because those compounding factors actually matter. Yeah, well, this has been a, a lot of important stuff to think about. Um, Kartika Roy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now we'll get some tips from Fast Company staff writer Pavithra Mohan on how we can manage our time better. Workers get interrupted an average of every three minutes and five seconds, but it can take up to 23 minutes and 15 seconds for them to get back on task. 
These kind of disruptions waste 28 billion hours a year at a loss of nearly a trillion dollars to the US economy. When you're not sure where your time is going, look to a source of truth, your calendar. Where is most of your day spent? If it's in meetings, a solid first step in carving out more time for productivity is to evaluate each meeting and to understand whether or not it could be eliminated. Even the smallest of interruptions add up over time. Catherine Webb, the blog manager at Hubstaff, says a check-in meeting eats up an hour or more that could have been used for productive work, and the interruption makes it harder for your team to focus on their top priorities. Add in any other meetings on the calendar, and you might find that your team is spending 30 to 50% of their time in meetings that could be automated or eliminated. Stop switching between tasks. According to some psychologists, flow state is a feeling when, under the right conditions, you become fully immersed in whatever you're doing. While flow state is ideal for hard to complete tasks, it's tough to achieve consistently. Three practices can help. Quieting internal stimuli, such as being too hot or cold or being distracted with thoughts. Blocking external stimuli, so noise, kids, texts, or phone calls. Using practice mental processes as opposed to those that you are unfamiliar with and require additional mental load or meta-focus to complete. The third task is probably the most complicated. You'll need to train your brain on required tasks to make them part of your muscle memory. It's like when you make a sandwich for lunch and go on autopilot, not necessarily thinking through all the steps. For example, when you write down a task, be as specific as possible. Rather than just writing call Jim, include details like the phone number and what the call is about. As you work to reach a flow state, it's helpful to block time away from external distractions so you can quiet internal stimuli and focus on those tough tasks. Hold yourself accountable. When you're working in an office surrounded by coworkers, the environment itself breeds accountability. People will notice if you're not exactly doing your job. But working from home is another story. Who's there to notice if you're staying on track or not? If you or your colleagues are having difficulties working from home, consider sticking to a schedule, or if you live with others, have them tell you if they see you slacking off. And bosses should trust their team members with a bit more flexibility as everyone figures out how to be their most productive selves and best hold themselves accountable. Ideally, this will breed more productive, loyal, and happy employees and a better bottom line for the company. Now that it's officially fall and we're still living in a pandemic, staying upbeat is essential. Here's Fast Company senior staff writer Liz Segrin with a few things she finds uplifting and helpful. We have been stuck in this quarantine mode for a long time, and I think that many of us are slowly beginning to get used to it, but there's still good days and bad days. And I have been looking for little things that will help me feel better and perk me up a little bit in this kind of dark time. There is a startup called Live Tinted that was founded by a woman of color who really didn't like how the dark circles under her eyes looked. And just in time for this quarantine where all of us are on Zoom calls, she has come up with an entire line of products that allow you to create a very even tone on your face. And for me, these products have been really helping me feel my best when I'm spending all day on Zoom. The company was founded by this Instagram influencer who discovered that when she put red lipstick around her eyes and blended it in, it actually evened out her skin tone in this totally unexpected way. So this led her to decide to create her own line of products that basically does the same thing. 
As a woman of color, she's particularly aware of the challenges of creating makeup for other women of color, but her new line is really inclusive and creates products for women of all skin tones. Most of us are still spending most of our days at home, but I found that it can still really perk me up when I know that I'm looking my best on a Zoom call or at a meeting where I'm talking to my boss online. I stumbled across an amazing company that is founded by two women called Orate. These women wanted to create a jewelry brand for women who wanted to buy jewelry for themselves because for so long, women have expected to receive jewelry from other people like a parent or a partner. So as the pandemic wore on, I wanted to get a little piece of jewelry to perk myself up. So I found this beautiful cuff that they're selling on their website. What I love about the brand is that the pieces are extremely durable and they're made to be worn every day. So this is definitely the kind of jewelry that you can just put on in the morning, but that will also look good when you're going out to a special dinner. And you can feel really good about the pieces that you buy because they're fairly priced and they're also made using sustainable techniques. The other thing that has been making me so happy during this pandemic seems like a really simple thing. The bowl is made by a brand called East Fork Pottery that was actually founded by the great grandson of Henri Matisse, the painter. He has created a company in North Carolina where he and his team of potters make pottery from clay that is native to North Carolina. And what I love about it is that you can see little flecks in the bowls that reflect the minerals that are in the soil there. And it's hard to explain, but I have been eating all of my food during this pandemic from this bowl, and it has been making me so happy. It is so beautifully designed and well-crafted that it's a kind of piece of dinnerware that you're proud to leave on your countertop. And I know it's just a bowl, but sometimes it's just the little things in the midst of this pandemic that will really add sunshine to your life. That's it for this week. Fast Break was produced by Avery Miles. Be sure to check in with us next week for another roundup of helpful tips and creative ideas to stay positive throughout this challenging time. You can subscribe to Fast Break on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you like this show, please leave us a rating or a review. Thanks for joining us. I'm Talib Vizran.